Well, welcome to A Coach's Perspective. I'm your host, Jenny Hopkins. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm so happy to have you here Wednesdays from 6 to 7. This show is presented to you by Great Southern Bank. They're our presenting sponsor, and we're very grateful for all the teammates over at Great Southern Bank. Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience with nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs and mobile and online banking services you're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com, member FDIC. Other sponsors we're very grateful for, and they are all hand-picked. Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Grant Ford and Bolivar, Story Construction, West Logging, Greg and Melinda Burnett, and Springfield Yard Cards. So we'll talk about them throughout the show. Um, you can always go to a coachesperspective.com, and you can listen to previous shows, for example, we had last week, we had a great lineup. Last week, we had Coach Amy Williams, the University of Nebraska women's basketball coach, joined us along with Kim Anderson, Coach Kim Anderson, who, you know, he was at Central Missouri, won a national championship. He was at the University of Missouri, finished out his career at Pittsburgh State University. Great conversation with Coach Anderson. We also had Nikki Hayes Fort and Corey Elms, and they talked about the national movement of 28.5, which is a movement that supports um, female coaches and gives them the resources and support to stay in the profession. So you can go to a coachesperspective.com again and listen to those shows. You can also find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Verbal. It also plays on Helium Satellite Radio. So tonight, I've got a couple of guests coming up that I'm excited about. We, we joined, uh, we, we had a little conversation with Coach James Arnold and Coach Thomas Brock from Columbia College, the men's and women's basketball coach there. And we're going to have that a little bit later in the show. But, you know, I am extremely grateful to have my studio producer, uh, Logan Weber here. Um, no stranger to the airwaves, my goodness. <laughs> and I'm, I want to, I want to tell you some stories this segment. All right. Well, let's hear them. I have some, this segment's called Wow. And it's stories that mean uh, what or why. And so we're going to talk a little bit about those. But, you know, you like golf, right? Yeah. I'm, so, I'm terrible at it, but I like playing. <laughs> How's your putting game? Oh, my putting is the worst part of my game. Well, maybe other than using my driver. Uh, it's not great. I, I am a three-putt guarantee every time I hit the, hit the, really? hit the green. Well, you need, you need to maybe go to, to Fun Acres with Don Luzader, who is to. the That's, ultimate champion. That is in, a tremendous idea. Yeah. <laughs> He is uh, the best putter I know, for sure. <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to tell you a story about, it's called the $5 putter. Um, and this is a story from way back, 1964. There's a golfer named Bobby Nichols. Heard that name before? I've heard that name before. Bobby Nichols. He, um, you know, he went to Owl Creek Country Club um, near his hometown in Louisville, Kentucky. And he was kind of feeling a little bit restless because he, he wanted to play in the PGA the following week. Nichols wandered into the pro shop and he kind of began to look around and there were some items that were offered for sale and he found a used putter that struck his fancy. He asked, um, the, he asked the pro shop manager, how much is this putter? It's, it's speaking to him, you know, that sometimes clubs just speak to you. Nichols asked how much it was and, and they said $5. He said, I'll take it. So in the PGA tournament at the Columbus Country Club in Ohio, the putter began to earn back its purchase price. In the first round, Nichols carted a 64, scoring eight birdies. Four times he dropped the ball in from more than 10 feet out. In the third round, the putter saved Nichols from disaster. He should have been way over par, and instead, he shot a 69. Nichols made a 10-foot putter on the first hole, a 20-footer on the second hole, a 15-footer on the 12th, and a 25-foot putt on the 15th. And the magic putter continued to serve him well into the fourth round. 
And on the 10th hole, he popped a beautiful 35-foot putt in for an eagle. That's pretty incredible. Mm. On the 15th, he made it good for a 15-foot putt, and then he followed that with a 12-foot putt. Uh, But the one that uh, brought a lot of gas from the crowd was the one on the 17th hole from a little over 50 feet away. Nichols rolled the ball into the cup and it put him into the lead and he was the PGA champion that day. So incredibly, Bobby Nichols has made, he made only 119 putts for a total of 72 holes. Even the great Jack Nicholas has only made at that time 134 putts in the tournament. So Nichols gave all the credit to the old putter that he picked up for $5. Love that. Love that. I, I can't say I've ever had a putter speak to me or had a golf club speak to me and if they did it was probably please don't purchase me uh, but that's a that's a pretty good that's a good story only five bucks and goes out and wins the pga championship with it that's awesome yeah. and so a lot of people that are out there scratching their head going why am i spending all this money on these mm-hmm. clubs maybe go to the sale rack see what you can you know what you can find on the sale rack because that uh, definitely worked for bobby nichols um, and I, and I, what I love about that too is the fact that, um, you know, I think sometimes there's a little placebo effect when you're, when you're playing golf. You know, if you, if it makes a good one, oh, it's the club. Mm-hmm. It's the magic club. You know, it's the shoes. It's the club. It's, and so I, I think that's, uh, gave him a lot of confidence, but definitely I think he earned his $5 back. I have to say he did. Yeah, definitely. All right. I'm going to tell you a story about Shaquille O'Neal. You ever heard of him? I, I do know who the mm-hmm. big diesel is. <laughs> yes. So when he was in college, he was um, asleep in his dorm room. And this is, um, you know, I found this on MassLive.com. This is a great story that he was sharing on that. And I thought it was so interesting because he, he was in his dorm room and he was asleep and he had a visitor. Um, and he said that this visitor woke him up in his college dormitory one day and he was so surprised. Um, he looked up and he saw, quote unquote, this good looking brother with his hand on my chest. And I was like, oh, my goodness, is God a black man? And then he said, wait a minute, Dr. J, is this you? And he was so thrilled to be able to meet um, Dr. J because he came to his room. So Julius Irving waking you up in a nap in your dorm room, that would be quite an introduction. Yeah, that that would be jarring to say the least. Yeah, if an <laughs> NBA legend shows up at your dorm room and you, I mean, never woken up from a nap. You, you don't know who you are, what planet you're on. You're so groggy for about the first five minutes after a nap. So I'm sure he did open that door, saw Dr. J there and was like, I must still be asleep. Like this has to be a, some kind of a right. fever dream, but no, right. wasn't the case. It was yes. just Shag getting his first introduction to the NBA. I think that that is incredible. I think that's a great beat story, meet great story there. Um, all right, Ray, Wayne Gretzky, pretty decent hockey player, right? Pretty recognizable guy, too. Yeah. Yeah. Many would say he's the greatest hockey player of all time. I think uh, many would be right. Um, It's pretty incredible what he's done. So he decided that one day he would go to the Hockey Hall of Fame. um, And and when he um, and he would like to go to these different places and most of the time would be recognized. All right. Um, But he was telling this story. He would he took his son to the Hall of Fame. He wore a hat and kind of managed to check out the whole place incognito. Nobody had recognized him. And so he went down um, to the part where you can play. There's like interactive hockey games. Um, he was taking some some shots, and his son um, goes first, and he was four for five. And he's like, Dad, give it a try, give it a try. So he says, okay. So he gets up there. Well, he misses the first three shots. And um, this young man walks over, and he's kind of been watching him, and he walks over, um, and he says to him, you know, sir, you should move your hand down the stick just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and helped kind of with his grip. And 
um, you know, Wayne Gretzky, he kind of lifted his hat up and he said, well, why don't you go over there and get me some of those pucks? And there were 802 of them. (laughs) 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 So, of course, obviously that's because he scored 802 goals in 1994 to beat uh, Gordie Howe's record. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, a, I'd say that young man got put into his place. Just a little bit, yeah. That's a, that'll give you a dose of humility of like, oh, look at this, you know, this dad, this middle-aged guy. He's, he's terrible. He can't <laughs> play hockey. You know, he's no athlete. And, oh, that's, uh, that's, that's Wayne Gretzky. That's, that's hockey royalty yeah. right there that you're talking to. So, yeah, maybe take a step back. Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right, well, I'm going to continue with some wow stories. We're going to take our, our, our first break, and I want to thank Great Southern Bank for being our presenting sponsor. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Coach's Perspective, Jenny Hopkins. And hey, this segment is sponsored by Highland Dairy. They're owned by dairy farmers, and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact from scientific studies, professional dietitians, they all agree. The ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk. And we all know that Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate, and they're a proud sponsor of a Coach's Perspective. All right, so in this segment, um, I am I'm telling wow stories you know what or why and so we're telling a little bit of those stories and um logan weber's being a good sport tonight and listening to my stories um this one um, have you ever heard of um bill belichick yeah i've heard of bill belichick before right 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 okay so he has a friend that's a college coach right and he calls bill and says would you help me out and call this recruit for me um, because i'm really trying to get him here and it's really important that, you know, I, I pull out all the stops. Would you give him a call? You know, right? So he's like, sure. So he, he decides that he will call. So he um, calls this kid. He says, hello, this is Coach uh, Bill Belichick uh, from the New England Patriots. And the kid goes, yeah, right. And he hangs up on him. So he calls back. And he says, hey, hey, hey I'd like to talk to you about this college and the kind of opportunity that you'll have there. And the kid goes, yeah, right, and hangs up on him. So he calls back again, and he's like, this is Bill, and he hangs up on him again. <laughs> so Bill emails his friend. He's like, you know what? We didn't really connect. <laughs> I can't really blame the kid because I'm sure someone might, you know, that sounds like a prank. Oh, yeah, that sounds like definitely something like high school kids would do. But, yeah, big swing and a miss on your part, man. You miss out on a conversation with, uh, in my opinion, the greatest coach in NFL history and Bill Belichick. Right. That's a genius No right there. kidding. No kidding. He probably he might have read that story and went, "Oh my gosh, that was me." <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Sometime later, right. <laughs> he he either ran into that coach, or maybe he ended up committing to that school, or ran into Belichick and at some event or something, and was like, "Hey, you don't remember? You hung up on me like three times. I called you one day <laughs> right. to talk to you about, you know, I'm friends with the coach, and he wanted me to talk to you." For some reason, I like for it, my picture. This story is like Nick Saban because Nick Saban and Bill <laughs> Belichick are really good friends. Like Nick Saban called Bill Belichick to convince this route to recruit to come to Alabama, which I find unlikely. Uh, but that was the way I pictured it in my head. And this kid's like, "Damn, I could have talked to Bill Belichick and I missed it." <laughs> right? <laughs> Not great. Yes, that's pretty funny. Well, I have my own Nick Saban story. I, when I was coaching, um, at a high school here in town, uh, there was a football player that was being recruited and 
I was in practice at the time. And, you know, when you're in drills, Logan, you're in drills. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're working, you're intense, and you're focused. And we were in a drill, and I was focused, and I was working. Somebody came over, tapped me on the shoulder, asked me, you know, where the main office was. He was trying to find um, our head football coach. And I said, just let me finish the drill. And I kind of gave him, you know, put a hand up, said, let me finish the drill. And the players kind of one by one stopped kind of working and just started staring. And I'm like, what is happening to you all? Let's go. Get focused. Finally, one of the players goes, hey, coach, that's Nick Saban. You might want to answer his question. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I didn't even really look at him. Obviously, yep. then I turned around and said, oh, hello, coach. Yes, oh, we that's will seven-time national champion Nick yeah, Saban. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, one of my idiot moments there. Um, all right, so let, let me tell you, this, um, this was uh, the Portland Trail Blazers. Uh, they were in San Antonio for the Western Conference semifinals, all right? And, and when the players arrived in the locker room, they got a little bit more than they bargained for. Thomas Robinson found a snake in his locker. What? Yes. And he was like, I was scared. I was scared. Uh, you know, I, I, he goes, I'm not going to lie. I was really scared. He was quoted as saying it, which, yeah, that's a pretty appropriate quote. But apparently one of the players even jumped up on the chair. The trainers had to come in and kind of rein in uh, the beast. And the players also assumed the snake was big, giant, and poisonous. Other reports said it was non-poisonous, non-venomous, excuse me, and only 18 inches long. So either way, though, a snake in your locker room? That's a little shocking. Yeah, can't say I blame those guys one bit. You know, I'm not the fastest guy on the planet, but you want to see me run a four four forty? Put a snake within a hundred yards of me. I am out. Oh. I do not do snakes. I cannot say I blame those guys at all for their reaction. I'm I'm not too scared of snakes. I have to say. Uh-uh. Yeah, don't don't let a mouse in here though. That that's my that's my Achilles heel. Mice. I, I, I had pet mice when I was a kid. Oh well. Yep. My snake would eat your mouth. <laughs> that they would. That they would. Well, this uh, this doesn't really have a lot you know humor to it, but I love the story of it. Um, Babe Ruth, you know, who's considered to be obviously one of America's greatest, um, you know, baseball players. Um, he start he didn't you know, having started out kind of well. His game kind of went down for about a decade. Um, he held the record for the highest strikeouts. At one point, he had one thousand three hundred and thirty strikeouts. Um, you know, but as they say, strong characters they turn it around. Um, he obviously turned it around and um, changed. Changed his playing. It was the third highest uh, home run tally. But um, you know, he was quoted as saying, every strike brings me closer to the next home run. And that was um, his philosophy, and it helped him with this achievement. And and I love that. In this day and age, that story to me speaks to so many things. Like, we get down on ourselves so often when we make mistakes, um, but how you know those mistakes can help gravitate us and put us on the path to success um, is really where we want to channel those feelings. Yeah, baseball is one of those sports, maybe more than any other, that is a great analogy for, for life in a lot of instances. Something like that Babe Ruth quoter. You know, I always love the fact that in the game of baseball, you can fail three out of ten times and be considered a Hall of Famer. Be considered right. one of the greatest to ever do what you do. You know, it's that it's 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 the ultimate sport of coming back. It's the ultimate sport of being able to deal with adversity at all times. And, you know, that implements itself into your life and so many different facets, you know, personal, work-related, whatever it is, you know, that you could try something 10 times and, and it may not work the first time. It may not work the second time, but you keep at it, you keep doing it, and eventually you're going to get it right. You're going to get it right consistently. And, and that's something that I, I like that quote from Babe Ruth, you know, yeah, okay, it didn't work this time, but next time it might. Yeah. Next time it might. It's just getting me closer and closer to what my end goal is going to be, which is 
to put one over the left field or right field fence at Yankee Stadium. Right. And I think that having the right attitude and channeling that right attitude, you're going to get it right a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great lesson from him. All right. This is from Stan Smith. Um, You know, he is one of the greatest tennis players ever, right? So he was once rejected to be a ball boy because they said he was too clumsy and uncoordinated. Um, So obviously he took that and he let it fuel him. Um, He went on to win Wimbledon, U.S. Open, and eight Davis Cups. Um, That is uh, pretty incredible uh, that Stan Smith didn't let that kind of setback um, hold him back. I mean, he could have pivoted and said, okay, well, I'm going to go a different direction. But he stayed with his sport that he loves. Got to love that. Yeah, that's that's ironic. Oh, yes. you're too goofy to be the ball boy. Oh, I'm just right. going to go out and become one of the best tennis players in the world. Right? How about that? You, yeah, in your talk face. about uncoordinated. <laughs> yeah, unreal. In your face. I think that's pretty pretty amazing. All right. Well, we're going to continue when we come back. That we're going to have a conversation um, with uh, Coach James Arnold, Coach Thomas Brock from Columbia College. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and I want to thank Highland Dairy again for sponsoring this segment. We are so grateful for them, and I want to thank Greg and Melinda Burnett as they support lo- local and thoughtful radio. We'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Welcome back to a coach's perspective. I want to thank Logan Weber for being uh, letting me tell him some wow sports stories tonight. Thanks, Logan, for that. No problem. So th- this segment is sponsored by Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar. Hey, they know cars, they know trucks, they know SUVs, and they know service and how to keep their customers happy and loyal. You've got to give Kelly Grant and Shane Rainey a call. They'll take care of you. They'll do a coast-to-coast search, find exactly what you need, and in your price range. You can call them at 417-326-7671. Also want to thank West Logging. Go to westlogging.com. You can find Danny West, for, and he will give you a free consultation. He's going to treat your land like his own. We also want to thank Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance. So we caught up last week with Coach James Arnold, who is the women's basketball coach, um, director of athletics at Columbia College. Um, he's previously coached at Westminster College. Um, I mean, he's presented at national conferences the WBCA conference, for example. Um, He spent four years at Highland Community College, five years at North Central Missouri College, earning two NJCAA Region 16 championships and won the Sportsmanship Award as well. He was named the Region 16 Coach of the Year twice. And in 2007, his team had a 30-win season. He finished sixth um, in the Division II tournament, which later earned him a spot in the North Central Missouri College Athletics Hall of Fame. And you know, we also caught up with Coach Thomas Brock, who is the men's basketball coach at Columbia College. Um, you know, he has career records so far of 81 and 40s, led uh, Columbia College and done some tremendous things, not only in the regular season tournament championships, um, but he has coached 12 NAIA All-Americans, 26 all-conference players, 62 academic all-conference performers, and he was named the National Association Basketball Coaches 30 Under 30 Award recipient as being recognized as 30 of the top young coaches in the nation. So pretty tremendous. And um, last season they finished 23-9, and nine, qualified for the national tournament. Oh, he did coach one year of high school at Hillcrest High School and won a state championship in 2015. So Coach James Arnold, Coach Thomas Brock, take a listen. Well, Coach Brock, Coach Arnold, welcome to A Coach's Perspective. Glad you all could join us tonight. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. 
So we are at the Missouri Basketball Coaches Association Clinic, and what a lineup that they put together. Um, but, you know, the lineup is great. The speakers are wonderful, but it doesn't happen without having court demonstrators, and you all have offered your players to be the demonstrators. They've done a tremendous job. Tell me um, what it is that you like about that aspect. I'll start with Coach Brock. Tell me what it is you like about your players being involved in this clinic. Um, I think the best thing is – they get to interact with, um, you know, really high-level people and uh, coaches. You know, my highlight so far uh, of the clinic this year is um, an exchange that uh, Coach Stewart, Norm Stewart, had on the way out with our guys, um, joking with our, our players. And um, some of our guys may not even know who that is, but it, it's a cool moment for for us as a coaching staff. And there's, um, you know, there's been over the years, there's been countless. Uh, interactions with you know just really good people and and so that's my favorite part of it it's a nice growing experience for them to be able to see different coaches and and hear different styles of coaches yeah it's really interesting timing too because we'll start practice next week um so to i think it gets it gets my brain going if nothing else and i think it, it gets our guys excited to get out on the court and put on the practice you can, gear you can and tell who's been doing their off-season workouts oh, yeah. <laughs> who's <Yeah>. in shape <laughs> coach arnold what about you what have you enjoyed about having your players be a part of this clinic uh, like coach brock said that having them be around just basketball and the celebration of basketball and you know i alluded to it yesterday when i did my welcome that um you know, basketball's given me about everything that I ever had in my life. And when I think about the opportunity to share the game and be part of it and to see our young men and our young women have a chance to do that is a beautiful thing. Additionally, to see the different styles and different contrasts, one of the things we talk a lot about um, last year in practices in our preseason is that there's lots of different ways to defend a screen. There's lots of different ways to run offense. There's lots of different ways to run defense. And um, having them have a chance to be exposed to that. Um, especially those that want to go into coaching or those that are really thinkers of the game. You can see their mind working. And honestly, it does give us an opportunity for them to hear a lot of the same things we've been telling them from different people, which is also nice to have it reinforced. Yeah, that is nice. I love it when they're, they're able to say, you're, you're able to go, see, see? Exactly, <laughs> listen, exactly. Listen. It's almost like when, heard you, that before. <laughs> when you coach your own kid, if you've ever coached your own kid, it's like somebody else coaches your kid, you coach their kid yes. because dad or mom doesn't know anything. So oh, right. there's a little bit of that, but it's, uh, it's just a wonderful and we're just super thankful that we've got the history and the, the connection with the NBCA that we can continue to have it here at uh, Columbia College. So let me, let me ask kind of a cheesy question, and I'll, I'll start with Coach Arnold on this. Why, why do you coach basketball? Because, you know, basketball and, well, coaching in general, it's, it's tough. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of time. There's a lot of energy. And there is a lot of things that you do behind the scenes. People have no idea that you put your time into it. So how, why, why do you coach basketball? Well, to that point about behind the scenes, we talk all the time that like, you know, 75, 80% of what we do is not coach basketball. It's the other parts that get to the fun part of coaching basketball. And, um, Coach Green, who works on Coach Brock's staff, used to always say, a lot of people want to be the basketball coach, but not a lot of people want to coach basketball. Because <laughs> the element That's of that, good. right? Yeah. And so for me, you know, if you go back to my high school yearbook, it says I wanted to be the high school history teacher and high school basketball coach because mm -hmm. that's who I looked up to. It was the coolest person on campus <laughs> in high school. And uh, fortunately, you know, I've had the ability and I, there's not a lot of things in this world that I know how to do. And so um, I love it. I feel like, I, I mean, I have a passion for it. And um, I've found over the years, like Coach Brock can probably say, that I've found a healthy balance between the love for basketball and the love for everything outside of basketball. And um, I'm just really thankful. I tried to get out of it and went straight administration for a while. And then this past year was back into it. And I'm really thankful for that, for sure. Well, I'm glad. Coach Brock? 
Yeah, just to kind of piggyback off what uh, James was saying, you know, the people that had influence on my life um, the most growing up were, of course, first my parents, and then, you know, beyond that, those coaches. And I had um, a lot of men who, um, you know, were good examples to me and, and poured into my life, and starting with my dad, who was also my coach. and A Hall of Fame basketball coach, Skip Brock. Yeah, absolutely. So I, that's, I guess in some ways it's in the blood, so to speak. <laughs> yes. um, and I grew up in a gym, and so I, I, I love the game and passionate about the game, but um, I think the thing that, you know, originally just sparked my interest to go into this profession was just the hope the to have – uh, some type of positive influence, uh, just like those coaches had on me growing up. You know, we had um, the chance to coach at the same school for a year, and you came in, you know, to to Hillcrest High School and made it look really easy. You won a state championship, and it was uh, it was pretty incredible. And then you moved on to the college game. What has been, you know, what is it that you love about being a college coach, knowing what the experience was as a high school coach? Yeah, that was a that was a fun experience for both of us. Both yes. of us got to. Um, come up here to Columbia. Final yeah, it four. was great to have both teams there at the same time. Absolutely. Um, you know, I, uh, I guess the experience of coaching at the high school level was a lot of fun for me. And I was first time head coach. I was young and didn't have any idea what I was doing. Um, but uh, did you ever tell your dad this isn't so hard? <laughs> I want to sit here. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Yeah. I know you're a lot more humble than that. But. Yeah. No, that that was uh, the, so that year really was um difficult though in a lot of ways and for for most of the year and then we just kind of caught caught a spark at the right time and um but that's uh, you know that's how most years go there's ups and downs and there's um you know days that are good and days that are bad and um but the experience again of coaching a high school was uh, was a great experience and um, there was the teaching part that I didn't necessarily love. So, uh, you know, that's, that's yeah. a big part of the gig at the high school yeah. level. And so I was fortunate to get an opportunity here at Columbia College and, you know, now Columbia's uh, home to me and my family, and, you know, it's a great place. I think that's wonderful. All right, well, so you're talking, you know, a little bit. You mentioned about um, getting the spark at the right time. And if there are coaches listening, what kind of advice would you get? Because season, you're up and down. It's very rare for someone to be on all highs for a season. Um, so how, you know, the perseverance to get to getting your team to peak at the end of the season, what kind of advice would you give um, coaches to get to that point? I think, you know, uh, the biggest thing is just to try to be consistent throughout the year, consistent as, you know, who you are as a coach, um, consistent in, in how you prepare game in, game out, day in, day out, um, and not, you know, not try to get too high or, or too low. Um, and, and it's easy, especially right now, everybody's really excited about the start of the season. Um, everything's new and, um, you know. But, and happy. And, and happy, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so it, it, it's easy right now to be excited about it um but trying to have a long-term perspective of the six months ahead and um you know understanding that it's that you have that big picture in mind and you want them to peak in february and march and um not not burn them out so to speak right here at the start and i think coaches you know they've they've got to put that in perspective you know you have a terrible game in november 
what can you take from it and learn and progress, right? What can you take from it? And Coach Arnold, you want to add to into any of that? Yeah, I was going to say, I think consistency is critical from the coaching staff that they understand that this is a marathon. The season is a marathon. Yes. And I also think that for any coach that's out there that coaches high school or college, you know, you have freshmen that come in or transfers that come in and they look at the first three or four games as their experience. And I, I we talk to our freshmen a lot of like, we're going to be together for 120 games. This is three games. Like, yeah. This doesn't define you. Even if those three games are amazing, it doesn't define right. you. And I think the, the consistency from the coaching staff, understanding the journey that you're on together, talking about that. You talked a little bit about goal setting yesterday. We, we, I used to be really good at setting goals, and then we would never reflect upon them. And as I've become a better coach, we started scheduling moments where we'd go back and do check-ins. Do we need to adjust this goal? Do we want to add to this goal? Have you reached this goal? And what's the next goal? And then the last thing I'll say that I think has been really helpful in the last five, six, seven years for me is talking a lot about, you know, um, the the idea that when we are together, that there's going to be good times, going to be bad times. You're going to have great experiences. You're going to have not so great experiences. But at the end of the day, we're going to come in, we're going to do our work together, and we're going to create the experiences that we want to have. And I think for this group, um, young people, life is different than it was for many of us. And it's life is hard these days. And sharing information with them, they want to know why on a lot of things. And be comfortable with telling them why. Don't yes. say because I said so. Yes. That's how I was coached. Right. And now they've got all this information on a phone that they can look up. They can look up Wade Boggs' batting average in 1984, but yet you can't <laughs> tell them why you're going to eat pregame meal when you are. Right. And I think that's been, a, as an older coach that's now going to this new generation, is sharing the why. Hey, this is why we're going to defend the screen the way we are. This yeah. is why we're going to play defense the way we are. This is why we're going to warm up the way we yeah. are. And even if they don't agree with that or don't love it, at least they have an idea that you're just not making it up and that you have a plan. And it, it helps the buy-in factor, too. 100%. And I also think that part of my growth and journey has been over 20 years, has been in the last six, seven, eight years, realizing that they have some ideas that are okay, too. Mm -hmm. And I've come off the court with a point guard or a, a player that's earned some respect and some street cred with me and said, look, coach, that's not working. Can we do this? I'm like, sure, give it a try. Because even if that's not a better plan, if they want to do it, chances are, you know, I like to keep people in front of me defensively. I like to sit back and not let people get around me and contest with a late hand. But some of my players really like to get up and get into people. So I'm trying to find ways to do that more so that they're happy. Yeah. So I think all those things collectively can allow you to have those moments where you can have growth, but ultimately put yourself in the best situation to be playing basketball like you guys were in the Final Four last year, like we've been doing the last couple of years in the playoffs here. Right. I like the, I like the attitude of being open and being able to, to let the players have a little bit of input. Um, it's not my way or the highway. Those coaches are not going to have much longevity anymore. I mean, they really aren't. No, 100%. And it, it takes you a while to figure out, as a coach, as generations change, those of us, and hopefully we'll all be around another 10 years coaching, it takes a while to kind of realize and figure out what little things here and there that you can tweak and adjust, and uh, not just offensively and defensively, but in uh, team building and game prep and uh you know, nutrition is such a bigger, uh, such a big thing that we talk about now that we didn't talk about necessarily 10 right. years ago and sleep habits. And we talk a ton about the team that gets the most sleep is usually the team that's going to be the most successful yes. and all of these things that come into play. Um, coaches have to evolve too, just they like do. we ask our players to. They do. And, and you know, you say that coaches are still the decision makers at the end of the day, but to be able to get that input and filter that through is really important. Okay. So yesterday, um, my presentation was on mental coaching. And so uh, we'll see if you're, I'm going to quiz. No, I'm not going to quiz you. I'm just kidding. But what I want to ask, you know, one of the things I talked about was coaches are the absolute worst at taking care of themselves. You know, so knowing that you're throwing so much in, you have to, you have lives of yourselves, you have families. You, how do you find that balance? What do you do personally for yourself to make sure you're on point and that you've got your your a clear mind, Coach Brock? 
Yeah, I think um, some of the things that James just mentioned about uh, performance with our athletes um, go into that as well. So sleep, um, I've got to remind myself to get to bed <laughs> early. Um, and, uh, you know, just the, for me, having a, a family at home and um, that, that can balance things out, uh, obviously. Um, and And nutrition and exercise and all those simple things. But as you said, it's easy to... Uh, forget and it's easy to um, not be able to find the time or or make the time uh, during the year. That's so true and you've got to and you used to exercise a lot um, he, you know, made me feel guilty because I'd see him well, working I was out. Say, um, I walk through, I walk through the gym to to visit something, and Thomas is taking his laps on right, his headphones, right. and that's and you know that that's critical, critically important, I think, for both modeling for his young people, of course, when they're adults, or for us other coaches that might have forgotten to take a few minutes to take those steps and to exercise. And you know, Thomas has got little ones. Mine is not so little anymore, and is going to be moving on. And um, I think early in my career, I missed some things that I wish I wouldn't have missed. I think, you know, you reflect back on your high school days. I coached high school for a year, and then I spent time at the Division three level and the Division one level, and I started to really figure out that a lot of the stuff we were doing wasn't important, like guarding a desk or watching film to ad nauseum. At some point, we know how to guard that out-of-bounds play. The scouting report is perfectly adequate. And, you know, what slows down, you know, there's that old expression that too much in the head slows down the feet for your athletes. Same thing happens with coaches. You overanalyze. And so I think, for me, I've found that balance um, – and I think trying to figure out ways to have trust your staff um, as as a as an athletic director here, we've worked really hard to get full time assistants back after COVID caused some you know just challenges for all of higher education. And you know we've surrounded ourselves by really really quality staff people that we trust. And if I need to go Thursday to watch my kid hoop, I trust that my staff's going to be great in practice or game prep. And I think he could say the same about his group. And I think that's critically important for anybody out there to. Step away. We do a thing in our program, and I think a lot of other teams do. We've talked about it, is that we give three mental health days, no questions asked. You just have to text the head coach. There's no judgment. could be for anything. And I think that's been successful, but we also, as coaches, have to make sure we're taking those days when we need them as well. I was going to ask, do you give that to your coaching staff as well? Absolutely, yes. absolutely. Because I've got, I mean, they've got little ones. Um, my One of my assistants has a little one, and it's, like I said, I reflect back on it. And while I still feel like I did a good job, I think I could have done a better job of being around at those things that were important. Right. Not... Not, not if I've got a game, but for the things that aren't, <laughs> right, yeah. not for the things game that aren't important. You know, yeah, there's, right. there's things that aren't important. Right. And I think figuring out what those really are and what are the priorities is big. Yeah, I agree. I think sometimes coaches, especially when they're new um, and they're very motivated and you want to make sure you encourage that motivation and, the, and that energy that they're giving, do you think it's possible sometimes that some coaches overcoach? What do you think about that um, overcoaching concept? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, this kind of ties in with the question you had earlier about, uh, you know, finding your stride as a team at the right time. Um, what what I've uh, learned as, as a head coach now is um, there's a time in the season, there's a time for buildup, right, and that we're getting into that time. And then at some point, whether – and some of it might just be feel as a coach, but at some point in – January or somewhere around then, then it's it's time to start taking plays out of the playbook, trimming things down, simplifying again, um, and uh, you know James mentioned um, trying trying to get your players to um, not think too much, and so uh, I think uh, just being able to have have that feel as a coach as to well, okay what there we have one season but. There's seasons within a season, so to speak, and um, 
when yeah. when to build and when to uh, simplify. I like that. That's a good balance. Anything to add to that, Coach Arnold? Yeah, I think as far as one of the things I've learned, too, is that from an enthusiasm standpoint and sort of the things that started at the beginning of the year, like I, I realized that my enthusiasm and my vocal, you know, uh, my voice and everything is super high. And, and what I've had to learn is that not everybody's 100 level of enthusiasm looks the same. Mm-hmm. And I used to think that because a player didn't, respond or react or jump around or yell or scream the way I did was mean they didn't care as much as I did. But in reality, that everybody has their own level. Like yeah. Thomas and I have two completely different levels of enthusiasm, right? <laughs> and the, his 100 looks different than my 100, and that's okay, and I've had right. to learn that. And I think if you are, if you have a grasp on that, then the longevity of the season leads to you not trying to overcoach energy and effort. you got to figure out what that is, and, you know, there are certain people that um, are just going to, to respond to things away, and trying to push on that means you're pushing them in areas where maybe academically or socially or there's other things you're struggling on, and now I'm trying to tell you to clap more at times. And maybe mm-hmm. that looks different. And, of course, every program has different expectations. And Thomas hit the nail on the head. I think there's a time to build up. There's a time to really simplify. Both of us, I noticed the last couple of years, you know, we get to a point where practices get a little shorter. You know, watching film of the other team gets a little less and watching a little bit of team film on your team gets a little more, just depending on the feel of what your group needs. And, um you know, crescendoing up for Christmas break, taking a little break, crescendoing up for the end of January, and then just being in the best place you can. To, yeah. And and back to that point about over scouting and over recruiting, I think that you know when you're early on, you want to prove to everybody you know what you're doing X's and O's wise. And really, it's it's a pretty simple game. You know, and <laughs> keeping it simple for them and keeping it simple for your staff usually usually ends up being. Uh, more prepared and more mentally uh, focused and, and just in better health. Right. Because, you know, at the end of the day, like, you, you have all kinds of control on the preparation and the practices and what you're going to be playing and who's going to be on the floor. But but the execution part and then the game day, coaches really have little control. You know, the players really have to make that happen. You can set them up for, for that situation. And I think that's hard for a lot of um, younger coaches to release and let the players um, have that. Um, yeah, and I think, it come, you know, we, the old expression, the hay is in the barn. Like, this is what I've done. Yes. This is what I can do. And we just have to hope. And, and then after that's over, whether it's a win that went exactly as, as planned or a loss that didn't go as planned, you reflect on that and you prepare for that through practices. I think for – for me as a younger coach, and I see a lot of younger coaches doing a lot of coaching in game and, 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 and effort coaching in game. And I've sort of learned that, yeah, there's times for that. There's going to be times where your team needs you. You know, there's that old expression that I got a technical because I either had to yell at the ref or yell at the kids, and I didn't want to <laughs> yell at my kids, so that's why I got a technical. And so there's times where you have to help them find the energy that they need. Right. But for the most part, the coaching's done in practice. Yeah. And then these small tweaks and adjustments that you've talked about and worked on are in-game, then you reflect upon it. And I found that to relieve some performance anxiety because I'm not stomping my foot at them in the middle of the game as much as right. I used to or whatever. So I think those are things that um, have helped us for sure. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to play a game. Are you guys ready for that? Let's see if you're ready for game time. Let's do it. Fast five. These are five random questions okay. that um, that I'm going to ask, and just the first thing that kind of comes comes to mind. All right, Coach Brock, I'll start with you. Man, zone, or both? Both. Excellent. Coach I'm a man guy, soft man. Soft. <laughs> it's a soft man. We keep people in front of us, funnel to the baseline. Uh, just, again, late hand. Yeah. Um, the I like the fact that because you used to change up your defenses sometimes possession by possession. Still, still believe in that philosophy because I love that philosophy. Yeah, we've um, here we've done probably eighty to ninety percent of our possessions are man, and then we but we do have a little uh, zone that we 
need from time to time. And mm-hmm. over the years, it's uh, won us a couple games. Where yeah. Just... How's your dad feel about that, <laughs> Coach? Well, uh, <laughs> he's done everything. Yeah, I mean, he has. As long as he, he has, he can he can teach every zone and every defense. Yeah. Well, quick disclaimer: we talk about it a lot. That I, I'm not very good at teaching a zone. I've tried over the years, and so even when I attend clinics or I watched what Thomas and them do, if I just haven't figured out how to really be great at it, and so it's still one of my things over the next decade that I'd like to get better at. We have some zones that we run against teams that that it's going to help us be successful on, but it's just I'm not great at teaching it, so it's like I try to put a man in with some zone principles from time to time. (laughs) That's right. There you go. All right, question two. What is your favorite venue that you ever played or coached in? And you can't say your home court. Oh, well, that's my immediate mind went to – it's not my home court anymore, but it would be Mount Vernon High School. It holds a special place in my heart, so – I love that. That's beautiful. Um, I spent a couple years at Division One level, which allowed us to travel around and do some great things, including Mizzou Arena as an assistant and some things. But I think um, uh, when I was at Westminster Division Three, we went out and played at Colorado, and it was a really cool experience. And just uh, the 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 space, um, the just dealing with the altitude and everything that came with that was a really neat experience. I also will give a second shout out that we played at Grand Canyon this past year, yes. and Grand Canyon. Uh, with Coach Miller, they brought us out there, and the game atmosphere there was insane. And so those are some pretty neat experiences I reflect upon. I went to one of her practices, and she gave me a tour of the facility. And, wow, Grand Canyon University has beautiful facilities throughout their whole campus. So that's that's great that you brought that up. Okay, favorite sports movie? Hoosiers. Oh, there you go. Uh, Major League. <laughs> Not sure how appropriate it is, but Major League. I love it. That's good. That's good. Uh, what is your what are you, what are you streaming right now? What are you watching, or do you watch do you watch TV, uh, Netflix, or Hulu? I don't want to. I shouldn't be mentioning platforms, but what are you streaming? <laughs> streaming right now, currently, would be Suits on Netflix, mm. which. Is uh, it's a good way to shut the mind off. I'll just yes, say that. you got it. It's a brain break. Well, yeah. it's funny because I would say that um, I probably indulge too much in that area, but a lot of it is background. Right. You know, the suits I've gone through two or three times. I'm a, I probably watch The West Wing at least once a year, all the way through. But right now, this is shameful, but I've literally been in my 600-pound life uh, on Lifetime watching that. Um, Those (laughs) episodes, if you've ever watched that, watching those, the journey through that, or Hoarders. I like those shows a lot. Completely turn your mind off. Find ways to relate to folks that are overcoming overcoming adversity and things in their life. I find that really interesting and motivating. (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. I love it. All right. What is, last question, what is on your bucket list that you would like to accomplish that you have not, whether personally or professionally? Um, from an accomplishment standpoint? Mm-hmm. Um, or do, an act, you know, an adventure or activity you've always wanted to do? Yeah. I'd, well, I'd, I like to golf, so there's several um, bucket list golf trips that I'd like to take. And speaking of uh, that, that, you know, coaching and having a balance and stuff, that's been a good activity for me in the off season to get away from the gym. It's nice. Do you have a dream course that you want to play on? Augusta. Augusta. Yeah. Okay. Nice. We've had a lot of. Uh, we've been fortunate to have a lot of really good teams, and but like Thomas, my first year, first three or four years of coaching, we went to in junior college. We were in the national championship in Phoenix, and I thought, well, this is easy. And I, <laughs> yeah, we've had some right. good teams exactly, since then, yeah. but I haven't quite had teams that I thought were Final Four or national championship caliber. I had teams that I thought could make a run, but. 
I'm excited because I think the next two year window, both of us have teams that I think with the right draws and the, and stay healthy can to make a run at, at at Final Fours. And I think that's where I'm at from a professional standpoint. And then I need to get to Mount Rushmore really, really bad. Um, that's been on my bucket list for a long time. And so as soon as I can get out to Mount Rushmore, very I'm going cool, to. Yeah. very cool. Well, that is wonderful. Well, I appreciate you all spending some time with us. And um, and again, thank you for letting us use your players at the of Missouri course. Basketball Coaches Association Clinic. And best of luck to you this season. All right, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back here on A Coach's Perspective. Well, thank thank you so much to Coach Arnold and Coach Brock. I really enjoyed sitting down with them and having that conversation. They have so much energy. I mean, it it, it really is contagious. Uh, They were, uh, you know, they're very motivated coaches, and um, they feed off of each other. Their players are very well disciplined. It's it's just a, a great situation there at Columbia College, and I want to congratulate those coaches on the job they're doing and and, and wish them the best uh, continued success. So we're going to move into our post-game talk, sponsored by Story Construction. They've been providing high-quality industrial commercial construction since 1966. Go to Story, com for more information. And don't forget, you can always go to a coachesperspective.com for show information. So for our post-game talk, all right, Michael Jordan, let's tell another little story. And we all know this story, but it is something that I like to revisit on occasion. Um, one of his most famous quotes, I've missed over 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. This is one of the most popular quotes that he has ever said. And listen, this was, um, you know, Jordan, we all know that he was cut from his high school team. He was 5'11 at the time. He was too short, said that he was too slow. He lacked skills. And one of the second favorite quote that I've ever heard from Michael Jordan is this. Whenever I was working out and I got tired and I figured either that I ought to stop, I'd close my eyes and I would see that list in the locker room without my name on it. And that usually kept me going. To be able to never give up and to have that principle of, you know, accepting failure, but not accepting the lack of trying was a huge reason that he became such a success story. And I want to encourage all of you to do that. So that's how champions do it. And I remind you as I do each and every week, be a good human, live your life like a champion, live like a human champion. This is Jenny Hopkins. This has been A Coach's Perspective.